David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. What a beautiful day out today. It feels like spring in a city that has spring. Chicago, not necessarily known for having spring. We tend to go from winter to summer. But yes, makes you want to go out there and play a little baseball, perhaps? Exactly. I mean, we had what? We had spring weather in February or March. Right. right. And then April, we get winter weather. And now we're getting spring weather on what is it? It's, it's May like, 3rd. It's like summer weather. Gets you in the mood for a mint julep, which seems only fitting in that the Kentucky Derby is coming up this weekend. Our first guest, Bill White's not going to be here today. I think he's got somewhere to run, kind of like the horses. We'll find out. We're, we're playing this by it. So, here we are. So, how about those Cubs here? They're getting better as uh, May starts. Well, if you set the bar low enough... Sometimes you're able to, to reach that level. What do they have? The second worst record behind the Padres. Yeah, I mean, going into yesterday's game, and that was what Jed Hoyer's team, I think, last year he built. Yes. So he was in a either a win-win or a lose-lose situation, depending upon how you look at that, right? I think I'd rather be in San Diego than here in Chicago. Eh, if you like sunny and seventy all the time, I suppose wouldn't it get a little boring? I don't know. Junior Sale didn't like the weather. <laughs> that there's. I heard that yesterday afternoon, and I'm like, huh? Yeah. You know, I suppose the whole story is yet to come out, and uh, who knows if we'll ever know the entire story. But you you look and you, you look at it from a distance, and you say, the guy's 43. He was a football player. He was beloved. He was this. He was this, that, 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 that. And... An apparent suicide. Uh, it, I have it, a feeling there's it, it, be some financial problems or something more to this. Well, like Dave Duerson had what eighty eight hundred dollars in his bank yeah, account. Yeah. Even so, that's not the answer. That that's how that solves your problems and creates infinite problems for the people around you who know you, who love you. It, it's not like okay, I can remove myself from the equation. And now everything's going to be good. It's like, okay, people around say, did I see a sign and not recognize it? Did, did I do something to cause this to happen? If only. Uh, and, and if Junior Seau had problems, whatever they were, financial, relationships, anything, isn't there somebody around who can say, okay, we can get help? We can figure out a way to get through this. You know, uh, it's a terribly sad situation. It's, you know, pe- people want to say, oh, it's a, 
it's a result of having played in the NFL and he was concussed and his brain was damaged and all this other stuff. And that's why he supposedly shot himself in the heart or in the chest rather than in the head so that they can look at his brain. You know, maybe yes, maybe no, maybe a combination of factors. It, but are they going to make football illegal? Is this where this is going? Well, you know, you hear, I was listening to sports talk radio as I have been known to do from time to time. And it, it might not even have been sports talk radio. It's just somewhere where uh, I think they were saying that Malcolm Gladwell, the uh, author, was making a case that college football would cease to exist because of the violence, the inherent dangers, uh, and all that other stuff. I don't know that we'll ever reach that point because I, cynic that I am, I, I think there's too much money involved for even, say, college football to go away, for the NFL to go away. Uh, people would think of that as the end of the world, I suppose. But look at what's one of the most popular sports now is this ultimate fighting. Sure. Here. And it's a lot more violent than football, and the money's nowhere near what these million-dollar athletes are making in football. Right. And, and people will go back over tens of centuries to the Roman gladiators and say, you know, that that was good in its day, but even that died out, literally, figuratively, any way you want to speak of it. I, I don't know that we're going to live long enough or that our progeny and their progeny and generations beyond will live long enough to see the demise of the NFL. I think you can probably put safeguards in place so that it, it becomes... Uh, I don't know if safer is a less unsafe environment for all that to happen. Uh, it, uh, it's obviously a problem. The question is, how do you solve the problem? Violence is an inherent part of the game. And I think that's an inherent part of the appeal to a lot of people. Just like bullfighting. You know, not a whole lot of people go in there rooting for the bull. And the few that do really get psyched when the bull, you know, gets to gore the matador. In, in football, you have people being gored left and right every time there's a snap of the ball. I. But you tell them, I mean, these football players, a lot of them were on steroids back in the day. Maybe some still are now. And you ask them, well, I would have done whatever it takes to become the elite athlete, make the money. I think it's the same way now. Okay, they'll say, don't take the opportunity away for me to play football because we're also going to make millions of dollars right. and get the fame of publicity. Yeah. I, you know, and theoretically, if you or I were in the shoes of that athlete, we'd, we'd say to ourselves, you know, we can make enough in three, four, five, six seasons to not only set ourselves up for the rest of our life, but to set up the next generation for their life and, do you make that trade-off knowing the risks, the consequences that there are? You're, you're 22 years old, you're 23 years old, or let's say you're 32 years old and you've been doing it for a dozen, uh, 10 years or so. You say, okay, I, I can get another season and make, you know, X million dollars or so many hundred thousand dollars. Whereas if I don't play football, what do I do? There's only so many broadcasting jobs to go around. Uh, there's only so many insurance companies or companies that would hire play, former players as some sort of public relations uh, person. 
But you got to work if you're in public relations, make right. appearances, right. And do things. Right. You know, can I just show up at autograph shows and, and pocket uh, fistfuls of cash and not tell the IRS? Ask Pete Rose about that. It doesn't work. It usually doesn't have a very happy ending. But even if you report it to the IRS, can you get enough, make enough money to live comfortably if you haven't taken care of your finances up to that point? Yeah. And, and what do you do with the time when you're, when you're not signing autographs? There's only so much golf or tennis or going to events or parties or clubs. Look at Moose Scourin. He said he made more money when he was retired doing autograph shows than when he was playing per year. Well, well, back in the day when he was playing, baseball players had their in-season jobs and then they had their off-season jobs, whether it was selling insurance, cars, whatever. But they needed to make money to make ends meet. And they were not living extravagant lifestyles for the most part, Uh, you know. A guy makes fifteen thousand dollars a year in the fifties. Not a bad salary, but it's it's not like making a few million dollars today. You know, back and I don't want to sound like an old fuddy duddy, even though I may be one. Back in the day, ball players had a lot more in common with the people who came to the ballpark to watch them than they do today. You know, now all the ball players can drive off from the park in their fancy. Uh, Hundred thousand dollar automobiles and things like that. You mean Stan Musial didn't do that back in the fifties in St. Louis? Uh, well, Stan had his his nice uh, restaurant, Musial and Biggies, on Oakland Avenue, and pe- you could go there and uh, more Polish off- food or what kind of food? It had the best toasted ravioli. It had Italian cuisine. The the How best. Does Stan Musial have Italian cuisine. He had an Italian partner, Biggie. Oh, okay. And it, it was good. It was fun. And Would he be in there actually greeting the people? On occasion, yeah. You know, that, and that was always a thrill. And you, you'd go and you'd get an autographed picture of Stan the Man. And you'd, you'd have your little kitty cocktail, for those of us who were underage back then, <laughs> and the toasted ravioli and, and whatever else it was that they served. But, you know, nowadays, uh, the guys who have restaurants are the guys who, have, like Magic Johnson, who may have a chain of restaurants or a chain of movie theaters who get into the business side of uh, life. For the most part, you don't see people with that entrepreneurial bent that a Magic Johnson has. But for the most part, these guys make so much money that they spend their off-season I won't say relaxing because they now it's more of a twenty-four-seven uh, seven existence for them. The off season is training season, so that they come into camp, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, in shape because there is so much more at stake financially for them, and uh, they they do have the luxury of taking a a vacation here or vacation there in the off season. Whereas. When Moose Scourin was playing first base for the Yankees in uh, a season with the Dodgers and then the White Sox, he, he needed to find something to do in the off season to bring home money. You know, I mean, look at when we went to the wake on what was it Monday, Tuesday, Monday. Monday his granddaughters were handing out baseball cards when you walked in of Moose and also the mask card. Right. But it was funny. I was laughing with the granddaughter and I said. Um, you can put that baseball card in your spokes. And she goes, 
what? And Tony Kubek was next to us and laughed. He right. said, basically, they don't understand that. Well, they don't understand that. And nowadays, God forbid you should have some sort of special limited edition card that you would put in the spokes of your bicycle so it would make that, that great little sound. And all of a sudden, it's worthless. Back in the, again, back in the day when you were a kid, when I was a kid, we would p- put those cards in without, you know, paying too much attention. I would make sure that it wasn't anybody, any player that I was fond of. So if, and it seemed back in the, in the mid fifties or so, every pack of tops cards that I got had Wayne Terwilliger. And I have nothing against Wayne Terwilliger, a fine human being. However, there was, it seemed like there was, he was in every pack of Topps cards. So Wayne Terwilliger ended up in the bicycle spokes. For me, it was Bobby Meacham. How many Bobby Meachams I had? Wow. Our producer, I don't know if he collected baseball cards, Dave, but probably similar stories with him. Yeah. And uh, well, speaking of Moose Gowron, I, I did go to his funeral Tuesday. Uh, beautiful church. And the speakers included Moose's former Yankee teammates, Bobby Richardson and Tony Kubek. And uh, it, it was a, a, a celebration of life. Which I think is is the way it should be, especially you know, Moose had the good fortune to live to be eighty one, which with every passing day sounds younger and younger than it used to be. When you get close to eighty one, it does seem close. I'm not young. quite. I'm not. Yeah, I'm, I'm not there yet. <laughs> Hopefully, working my way toward that in the, in the fairly distant future. But it and Bob Turley was there. Minnie Minoso was there. Uh, they were among the honorary pallbearers. One of the pallbearers was uh, White Sox and Chicago Bulls chairman Jerry Reinsdorf, who uh, appeared visibly moved as he walked down the aisle alongside the casket. And uh, was he thinking about Derek Rose? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I, I think he was thinking about the grander thoughts than than all that. And uh, there's, there's nothing quite like a funeral to reaffirm mortality in the world and it it tends to make us think of our own mortality and how fragile and how special and how wonderful life is which is how we now go back to Junior Seau and, and scratch our heads and go it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense and as you say even if we find out down the road that it's, this was because of financial, personal, uh, physical, whatever reasons, it it still doesn't make sense. No, I mean, even if it was financial, I mean, you declare bankruptcy with his name, he can make money. He's he, marketable. He basically right. was with the Chargers the majority of his career. He's a 12-time Pro Bowler, future Hall of Famer. Then again, we don't know. We, we only know the demons that are inside us, not that you have any. But we don't know the demons that reside within other people. And Could he not cope with not being in the spotlight every day? It, it's because I heard he retired twice and then right. he kept coming back. Right. You know, the Michael Jordan syndrome or well, Sugar Ray Leonard originally. It, yeah, I mean, pick an athlete who's ever retired and then unretired. It, it. I will assume, not having been a professional athlete, that it's very difficult to give up that existence, whether it's 
the camaraderie of teammates, whether it's the discipline of structure in your life, whether it's the lack of discipline off the field, you know, where you can party or do whatever it is you want. It's a, it's a different world out there. And for a lot of these uh, prime athletes, they've been coddled since, what, 8, 10, 12 years old? Yeah, with AAU now, at right. that age, you're right. It used and, to be college, but right. now it's all the way to grade school. Or, you know, maybe in, you get recognized in high school as, okay, having potential. Now, whether it's AAU or, you know, youth traveling teams, they sort of pick out kids at age 8 or 9 and, and say, this this kid's got it. And, and some of them do and some of them don't. And some of the kids who don't have it at age 8 or 9 develop to a higher level than than the guy who's a standout when he's in third grade. It, it's uh, an interesting interesting world out there. It's it's very complicated. I don't know if it's more complicated today than it used to be, or, or whether it just seems like that. But uh, the competition, the carrot that dangles ahead of the athletes has a dollar sign that is so large attached to it that it can just cause so much tumult in your life that you don't lead a normal existence. And you find yourself in your late 30s or early 40s having to adapt to the world in which you and I exist and have been existing for some time and have a vague idea of, of how to wander through life. Some of these guys just totally unprepared and yes part of the blame is on them but part of the blame is on the people around them and the handlers basically right. pump them up and you're great you're great you're never gonna go down right. and i think the professional leagues are aware of that problem and they try to provide uh help not necessarily coping mechanisms but information to enable the athlete to lead a fairly, quote, normal existence after they're no longer an active athlete. So life is very interesting. Now that we're all depressed. <laughs> we we need something to uplift us. A young girl? A young <laughs> woman? <laughs> <laughs> yes, how about a Playboy Playmate? May's a good month. May is a good month, and if everything goes right, and it should since we've taped her, we will have Nikki Lee, who is the Playboy Playmate for May, when we come back from this break. Stay tuned.